Many thanks to Kirat Lala and the news team. It is six minutes after 12 here on Midday Life. There were jubilant scenes in Johannesburg as many matriculants discovered that they had passed. Students flocked to filling stations and newspaper stands and schools this morning to check if their names were among those who have made to the grade. Sasha Naidu and Tsepo Pahane compiled this report. Who are you looking for? My brother. Oh, brother. Oh, audience. This is overpost. The long wait, the suspense, getting your hands on a newspaper, and then the joy of seeing your name in print. You've passed matric. Asani Hiru from Durban could not contain his joy. Lavanya Naidu from Durban Girls High School could not believe her eyes when she saw that she received eight distinctions. Is that only eight? Yeah, just wait. I just want to check. That's Naidu Alice. Nine eight O. Is that it? But that's not the Yeah, yeah. Bundles of newspapers were sold out within minutes on street corners, snapped up by eager parents and matrics. Hey, I feel very excited, man, because, hey, I've been waiting for this for, like, 12 years, man. Now it's finally came, and I'm glad that my results are actually good. I did not sleep. I just couldn't. My sister stayed up with me, actually, giving me company. I'm digging the A, and my friend next to me, she got no A's, but, yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> can't all get A's. At Tumlazi, south of Durban, Matrix started queuing up around 9 o'clock last night to try and get their results. Umlazi was lauded as one of the top performing districts by Education Minister Angie Moshecha. The district boasts a 83.7% pass rate. Balentle Lutuli from Umlazi Secondary School, Yolanda Lamini from Fairwell Secondary School and Gugud Lamini from Umlazi Comtech were over the moon when they got their results. And I am so proud of myself. I am so proud of my team that I was studying with. I am so proud of my school. And I'm so proud that I've made my school. I, I don't have words to describe the way I feel. I didn't believe in myself. But now I've proved to myself that it was, I am worth more than I think I am. We as Umla Secondary School, we thank you for the, all the things that you have done for us. One day. Many matrix and parents in Durban were frustrated as they battled for hours to find and purchase a newspaper with the matric results. Ahmed Musa expressed the frustration of many. I got twins in matric, both passed, but I just wanted to see the results. And they got it in staying at 10 o'clock last night. I've been cycling around since 4 o'clock this morning. I just can't get it. Why? Independent newspaper's circulation director in Durban, Lorne McLean, says that the increase in the pass rate meant that about 20,000 more names had to be published. McLean says this increased their supplement from 48 to 56 pages and caused delays in circulation of up to four hours in Durban. And we had to reconfigure everything at the last minute. At, uh, it started at 6.30 yesterday when uh, we, as I described it, we were in the starting stalls ready to go. Suddenly when you get 20,000 extra names, it was reformat everything and thereby losing um, four hours. McLean says in future they will plan for larger numbers of metric passes. I'm Dries Liebenberg for SABC News in Durban. And those were the voices from Guazul Natal that you heard. Let's come to Johannesburg now, where, where uh, matriculants uh, were jubilant after finding out uh, that they had passed Sasha Naidu and Sepo Pahani. Excitement was in the air at Rand Girls School in Bramfontein, as many matriculants discovered that they had passed. The Rand Girls class of 2013 achieved an unprecedented pass rate of 98%. Many say the hard work they put in from the beginning of the year finally paid off. Very, very long and tiring and stressful year, but it was all worth it. In the end, I got my bachelor's degree and I got some A's and happy. I'm very excited about my results and great health. It's been a challenge to me. It is a huge challenge, but yeah, I made it. Excited that I 
got my bachelor's degree and will qualify for university next year. Hope I'll be accepted at Wurtz University. It was a hard year, but I enjoyed it. The headmaster of the National School of Arts, Leon van Gent, was extremely proud that his school achieved a 100% pass rate for 2013. Uh, I'm very proud of my matrix from 2013. Uh, once again, we managed a 100% pass rate. Uh, this year, I'm particularly proud because our learners got a 91% uh, university exemption, which is, 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 is very high. Uh, the National School of the Arts is known uh, for the learners being motivated and proud to be in this school. Learners in Soweto were not to be outdone. At one of the best performing schools in Soweto, Bugulani Senior Secondary, learners were equally excited to have made it. The school obtained a 91% metric pass rate. President Jacob Zuma and Basic Education Minister Enji Motsecha visited the school in 2009 after it had obtained a 98% pass rate. Mbongeni Maringa is one of the school's top achievers, obtaining seven distinctions, including in maths and science. He says he expected to do well in metric, but didn't think he would do this well. There are many things that contributed to this. Uh, number one, the support that my parents gave me, um, the encouragement that I got from our teachers, all our teachers and our principal, and the opportunity that I got to attend one of the most good projects, uh, which is Gutrano, which has been helping me a lot with mathematics and science during the holidays and in the weekends. Maringa wants to study actuarial science. His schoolmate from the Mtaki family got four distinctions. Mrs. Mtaki says while she was worried that her son would leave school at 7 in the evening after attending extra classes, at least she can be proud now that all that was not in vain. He used to come home late at night, but I didn't mind because I knew he was doing schoolwork and that is not from attending parties and so on. He has been accepted at the University of Johannesburg, but is still waiting for sponsors to pay for his studies, she says. About two kilometers from Pugulani is Chabulani Technical High School. The school was declared the worst performing school after obtaining a 16% metric pass rate in 2011. A grade 12 learner at the school told a Soweto Learner Summit two years ago about challenges at the school, including the use of cell phones during learning hours, both by teachers and learners, drugs and alcohol abuse. But with the help of the school governing body, Jablani Technical has cleaned up its image and improved on its metric pass rate. School principal Tembangwenya. We were considered one of the high-risk schools. There was an idea that uh, we need to have a camp, a sleeping camp, and this uh, came as a result of the SJP. The results that we obtained were 16%. Then through the camp, we moved up to 65%. Through these camps, uh, our main focus was to do the past examination question papers. Uh, we drilled them, especially on maths and science. And uh, voila, here we are. We've got 88,8%. And uh, there was uh, a report uh, by Tepo Pahani here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's coming up to 15 minutes after 12. Midday live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Our top story uh, this hour, the ANC has welcomed a debate on raising the metric pass rate from the current uh, 30%. Looking at the markets, gold is trading at $1,239.45 an ounce, platinum at $1,412 an ounce. The rand is at 10.66 to the US dollar, 17.43 to the pound and 14.53 to the euro. SAFM is your radio station, so we want to hear what you have to say. We value your inputs and opinions on our programming. The format works for me well. In fact, my day won't be complete without SAFM. And why have you got a SABC representative on that program? It's, it's for editors, not SABC reps. I love these signing programs. I love hearing everybody's comments. You know, it seems that SAFM is becoming the voice of the dominant global elite, you know, not the ordinary uh, man in the street. I think SAFM is doing a pretty sterling job. Email us. J-O-Z-I S-A-F-M.co.za. Fax us on 011-714-5829 or comment on our Facebook page SAFM Radio. Thank you for taking the time to provide us with your feedback. This will be carried forward as we think about the future of SAFM's programming. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.
16 minutes after 12th year on midday life, fear and trauma continue to grip the mining community of Marikana in the northwest following ongoing killings linked to the alleged rivalry between AMCU and NUM. This has claimed the lives of more than 15 people, including unionists, following the deadly Marikana strike which left 44 people dead in 2012. The community say they do not have confidence in the police, while police point a finger at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry for releasing the murder suspects, some of whom are witnesses at the commission. Itumelen Khajani has more. We are inside the small Marikana shopping complex. It is busy as usual. However, residents are quick to spot anyone who is not part of the community. S1 drives past the complex, heading down to Lone Min's Western Platinum section, at a place called Nkaning. The presence of miners inside the yards of the Yasheks is quite conspicuous. People here fear strangers, due to the continuing killings. Among those who were killed in 2013, are AMCU's regional organizer Mawetu Stevens and NUM's Daluvu Yopongo. The first house we arrive at is that of Duduzi Lemalahe. She happens to be welcoming, but immediately we ask about life in Marikana after the 2012 tragedy, her facial expression changes. We are always scared because you'll hear on the streets that someone has been killed. You can also see as you walk on the street there that people are scared. Duduzile says as the fear continues, they always ask themselves who is next. She says she, together with other women in her prayer group, are asking for a restoration of peace in the area. We pray all the time. Even in 2012, we prayed a lot when we couldn't sleep as people came running into our yards during the strike. A few meters from Duduzile's house, we met two gentlemen who looked nervous when an unknown vehicle stopped next to them. One of them refuses to speak to the SABC, while the other one displayed courage by speaking about their fear. People are still killed here, especially at the taverns at night. You must always work in a group at night. Police, however, say they are doing all in their power to apprehend the suspects. Spokesperson Tulani Ngubane says they have formed the Mines Crime Combating Unit, which includes unions and community policing forums, as a way to quell fear among Marikana residents. Ngubane says so far 30 people have been arrested. Some were released on bail as they had to testify at the Marikana Commission. Tolani Zuza was a member of the Workers' Committee that led the Marikana strike in 2012. During an interview inside his shack in Marikana West, he says he is not convinced that Lone Min will ever improve their living conditions or even offer them better wages. They don't sympathize with us. They just ignore our demands. They also ignore what happened in 2012. I don't see any changes at the hostels. People are still exposed to the condition they have been exposed to over the past years. This emotional woman who cannot be identified for safety reasons also says there is a lack of service delivery in Marikana. There are no developments in this area. People don't even have toilets. How can people live without toilets? That is not possible. They also don't have water. In the same breath, the Marikana Commission continues with its work. Its time has been extended on two occasions, as many witnesses still have to testify. Miners here say their salaries have also not been adjusted. With this in mind, some of the workers interviewed, though off record, say their lives have not improved and there's no indication that life will improve in Marikana anytime soon. One would have thought that after 2012 Marikana strike, life was going to change. But those living here say they do not have anything to show that their plea for better lives was heard. Itumelen Khajani, SABC News, Marikana. And that brings the time to 21 minutes after 12 year on midday life. The Marikana Commission of Inquiry continues after a month-long working recess. So let's find out uh, what has been happening. We're now joined on the line by our reporter, Nao Makuting. Now, before we just uh, look at what transpired today, take us back uh, to the period before the recess, who was on the stand and what was happening. Well, uh, before the recess, uh, we are still looking at Kenel. Duncan Scott 
taking almost two and a half months uh, presenting evidence before the Marikana Commission. In her evidence, Scott said that the police officer shot the protesters in but, you know, when, you know, when they were about to, 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 to attack them, it was like a in self-defense. He, he, he refused, he refused the claims that the police had a hidden agenda of trying to cage or corner the striking miners in one of the copies next to Marikana. He says that was not the intention of, uh, of, of the police. After Scott, then came, uh, Brigadier in who was recalled from a previous testimony because his testimony was during the period where Dalim Pofu and the other lawyers representing the families and the injured minors were still recording the, 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 the commission and seeking the, from, from the court that the government must provide the legal assistance. The general member was recalled to afford the, those lawyers chance to cross-examine him. He contradicted himself in many instances when he ended up crying. After Mbembe, then the commission called Brother uh, D. Adrian Katalit, who is still on the witness box. He also had some debts, you know, the, 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 the lawyers of the, uh, the, the victims of the uh, minors also managed to crack, you know, the, the, the evidence of Brother uh, Dickerson. Uh, As it happens this morning, we only said for three hours. The evidence leader, Advocate Matthew Shackleton, was also able to show the discrepancy of what he called the misrepresentation of uh, a caliph into the commission. Hence, the commission was adjourned to give caliph time to read and review uh, or study the new uh, evidence which is presented today in the commission. Let's look at those uh, at today then. How did the day start? The, the day started with uh, Advocate Shackleton uh, saying, I want to raise my concern as to bring the witness closer to where he wants to take him to the, 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 the evidence uh, cross-examination. He started by showing the, 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 the television uh, footage which were, were recorded, uh, recorded at the same time as the shooting continues. In the statement of the evidence presented to the Commission by Khalif, it shows that he didn't know how many people were wounded, you know, as soon as, you know, in the afternoon of the 12th of August, 
And the representatives, legal representatives, uh, the issue of funding, has it been resolved? And do we know if they're still going to continue representing those families? Last time, before the, 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 the commission can go on recess, there was an understanding which was after a second application before the not halting high court, where by the judge, Jati Mahoka, gave an instruction that the uh, legal fee of the, uh, the, the, the lawyers representing the, 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 the victims must continue simultaneously as the, the state, most especially the state legal board, is busy challenging that decision to the uh, Supreme Court of Appeal. Because that application cannot stop the, 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 the funding and in order that the funding must continue. There is a possibility that the, the hearing of this uh, uh, legal aid board might come later, even after the commission has read its, its business in and, May. And uh, you haven't been able to speak to the legal representatives to find out uh, their position, uh, because this issue has not been resolved. Uh, no, I, 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 was, I was able to talk to Advocate he, he's the one who sort of informed you that, uh, listen, we are uh, taken care of. Uh, we are not going to move away, even if tomorrow they can cut the, 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 the legal aid. We are not going to move away. But uh, truly speaking, said to me, they don't see or foresee any possibility of the matter coming before the Supreme Court of Appeal during the, 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 the running of this, uh, this commission. Well, thank you very much uh, for that update. Uh, now, Makuting is uh, our reporter at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. And that brings the time to 28 minutes after 12. The South African Trade, Investment and Tourism Promotion Guide, in partnership with SAFM, will be hosting monthly radio broadcasts to promote trade and investment opportunities to local business and foreign investors. We invite business from all sectors to join us at the President Hotel in Bloemfontein to the launch of the Free State Province Symposium on the 27th of January 2014. To participate for free, contact Boyce Kajaneni at 082-923-4402 or email at rsvp at bbmmedia.co.za Also visit southafricanguide.co.za you asked for it, and now it's here. FAFM proudly presents the best of the African Connection Fruit and Wamba, the dance edition. Dance yourself silly in this compilation of the best dance numbers of the African Connection Fruit and Wamba, now available at reputable CD outlets. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader still to come. 83 emerging artists have come together un- under one roof to showcase their work and to make art more affordable to everyone. We'll bring you that story in a short while. Right now, though, let's update uh, the news as we say good afternoon again to Kirat Lala. Many thanks to Kirat Lala. In 29 minutes' time, you'll be hearing the voice of uh, Sharatana. She'll be presenting otherwise. Uh, good afternoon to you. What can we expect? Good afternoon, Ike. Firstly, I must say condolences to Alice Achafundugo's family. She was truly a pioneer. Now, on otherwise, we look at alternative ways of earning a living after retirement, and we talk to Monica Cromhart, who found a second career path to augment her dribbling finances. That's otherwise. Thank you. Many thanks uh, to uh, Sharu Twala, and that brings the time to uh, exactly 28 and a half minutes uh, 
to one here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. 174,000 uh, metrics qualified to study further. That's according to Basic Education Minister Angie Mutsecha. She said this during the 2013 metric results briefing. Some metric learners have applied to their preferred universities, uh, while others did not, and it might be too late to apply to study this year. After the University of Johannesburg stampede in 2012, many universities took a stance of not taking walk-in applicants. Meanwhile, the Higher Education Transformation Network is calling on higher education institutions to admit the maximum enrollment of student applicants and to increase its overall enrollment of previously disadvantaged students by at least 25%. Let's get more on that. Joining us on the line is the Executive Director at the Higher Education Transformation Network, Reginald Lekhwaba. Good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us. Hello? Reginald? Unbelievable, is it not? Um, because I could hear him, and I'm sure that uh, he could hear us. But let's go to uh, that art story now, where 82 emerging artists have come together under one roof to showcase their work and to make art more affordable for everyone. The annual affordable art show at the Art Space in Devon features over 300 works from local artists. But just how well is art being supported? Minosh Nepile visited the exhibition and spoke to local artists about the challenges in making a living from following their passion. The art space is a gem of a creative space, tucked away in a small side road off Durban's busy Amgeni Road. Amidst the hustle and bustle of the city, creative minds have come together to share their work with those who live and work in the city, in the hopes that the paintings, jewellery and sculptures will catch the eye of a prospective buyer. The annual affordable art show is now in its 11th year. It aims to showcase art that's more affordable. Pieces are capped at 3,500 rand. There are hand-painted coasters at just 15 rand, delicately carved earrings at under 100 rand, and large framed oil canvases at over 2,000 rand. A little piece of creative license to suit most pockets. But many of these artists say they battle to make a living through their work. Artspace director, Karen Bradka. Art should be a part of everyone's life. Whether you find beauty in the work or something that just grabs you. It's not that you're buying it necessarily for investment purposes, but just that you want to be surrounded by things that you love. But buying art here, you're investing in, in an artist's career as well. So you're not only just buying a thing, but you're supporting someone. But it's challenging for all galleries and all artists all around the world. 29-year-old Sakila Mshlongo from Umgababa on the KwaZulu-Natal South Coast says his pieces challenge the stereotype of how black men and women are portrayed in society. A fine arts student at the Durban University of Technology, he says even his family does not support his decision to try and earn money through his paintings. I would be happy if uh, people can support us as artists to show that they appreciate what we are doing because we spend too much time doing what we are doing, trying to produce the best. Six-year-old Bernice Stott stands beside two beautifully framed works black and white sketches, simple and striking. Stott says she was forced to consider other career paths to supplement her income from selling her paintings. She says while it is a challenge, she's passionate about her work and will continue to draw and paint. It's not appreciated, certainly here in a smaller centre like Durban, um, as opposed to Johannesburg and Cape Town. Most people don't really see art as an absolute necessity for the health and the wholeness of a nation and as soon as you don't have artists and I don't mean just visual artists I mean music artists performance artists all sorts of other kinds of artists you really have a nation that is in the wane and then of course it means that people themselves don't value art and it's only the upper echelons uh, who can afford art. Sharon McClellan is a printmaker she studied her craft for seven years now she runs weekly workshops at the art space McClellan frankly says that people need spaces where they can engage more with art. It is. It is very hard. You know, I feel very sorry for most artists because, especially in the recession period, you know, people just can't afford art. You know, it's a luxury. 
you know, you've got to make it affordable for the people. People can't afford hugely expensive artwork. But we need to get the art out there to the people. I think you should pop up art galleries around the place in parks, get people looking at art. It is true that with the basic cost of living ever on the increase, art is mostly considered a luxury. But these artists say that life's too short not to be surrounded by something beautiful that need not cost an arm and a leg every now and then. Minoshni Pillay, SABC News, Durban. It is 25 minutes to one here on Midday Life on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. What a pity that uh, we can't speak to Reginald Lekhwaba because uh, they are making some calls that uh, higher education institutions should admit maximum enrollment of students' applicants and that they need to increase uh, their overall enrollment of previously disadvantaged students by at least 25%. It would have been interesting to find out how they see that uh, panning out. Uh, but let's uh, talk more about that. Uh, joining us, the Chief Executive Officer of the Council of Higher Education, Ahmed uh, Esop. Uh, a very good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us. So firstly, your reaction to the results that we have seen. Well, I think as the general, it's welcome that uh, the metric results have, have improved. Uh, I think the key issue, uh, as many commentators have indicated, is really what the quality of the metric result is. And secondly, there are large numbers of students who enter grade one who don't uh, get to matric. So we're still having a large dropout rate. Uh, the About 50% or more students don't ever get to, to grade 11 and 12. So it doesn't quite in that sense reflect uh, the number of students who should be writing matric and, and qualifying. But in, in general, it's welcome that we've got uh, further improvement in the results this year. But the dropout rate... Who should the blame be apportioned to? Because here we're talking about the students uh, who were able to reach metric, who were able to enroll, who registered for exams, and were able to write those exams. No, sorry, I, I'm talking about those students who start grade one. I, I do understand and who over what you're saying. Don't ever get to metric, y- and they drop out for a variety of reasons because of uh, uh, problems, poor quality schooling. Uh, family and other pressures, whatever the reasons may be. So we're losing while everybody gets to primary school and up to standard what is grade six or seven. As they go into high school, large numbers of students drop out. But it's not an area that I'm 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 uh, I'm an expert on, so I don't want to comment in more detail on that. But we do have a real problem that large numbers of our young people are not getting. Uh, are not completing uh, the 12 years of schooling that they should be. Well, fair enough. Uh, But uh, the reason why I was trying to follow up on that was uh, because, you know, every year when we get the metric results, uh, there will be, even though there's been an improvement, uh, but there will be those uh, issues that creep up. And uh, this year what I've noticed is that uh, uh, people and analysts especially are saying now we need to have been to be concerned about uh, the rate of the uh, of people that drop out who are supposed to have written and uh, dropped out along the way and you know there are so many socio economic issues uh, that could be attributed to that uh, that uh, we shouldn't actually even try to put them closer to the metric result should we no i agree with you yes well, let's uh, talk about um, the universities and uh, tertiary institutions. Do they have the capacity to take more students uh, as uh, the um, Higher Education Transformation Network uh, insists it should be done? No, they don't. You know, this year, out of the, uh, uh, I think, about 170,000 students, roughly, who have completed, who passed matric, have qualified for a bachelor degree pass which means formally and legally they have entry to higher education. Uh, Not all of them would necessarily qualify for university admission because they may not meet the additional requirements for particular courses and so forth that institutions set. But let's assume that two-thirds of the 170,000-odd students qualify for all of the normal requirements to get into higher education. I don't have the full figure at the moment in front of me, but I think currently of the excluding UNISA of the 20 universities that we have, uh, or are 21, we probably the first year intake in total is about 70 or 80,000. I tend to be corrected on that. So we have many more students qualifying with not enough first-year places, uh, and not, and notwithstanding the fact that there are also students who had completed matric, say, last year or in previous years, who for a variety of reasons did not enter higher education, who may also have applied. 
But the universities, in a nutshell, do not have enough capacity, physical capacity, in terms of infrastructure to take in more students than they're currently taking, nor do they have the human capacity in terms of the appropriate number of academic staff and academically qualified staff to be able to teach. So universities are currently under enormous pressure. Uh, uh, the enrollments that, that are determined that universities take are not uh, in, in the current system determined solely by institutions. They're part of a process of an agreement reached between the Department of Higher Education and Training about how many students the department is willing to fund and how many students the university is going to be able to take. So it's not something willy-nilly that the institution decides. There's a process and enrollment targets and figures for each institution are set by the Department of Higher Education and training in negotiation with institutions. And that uh, would also uh, hopefully take into uh, consideration the transformation drive uh, that is needed. Yes. I mean, I think the, the, the reality is uh, in, in the last 20 years, there's been a major change in the demographic composition of higher education. 70, more than, I forget the exact figure now, between 70 and 75% of students are black. Black, I mean, in terms of African, Indian, and colored. And of those 70, over 60% would be African. So in that sense, there's been a change. However, when we look at the the age group, uh, 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 Indian, white, African, colored, many more white and Indian kids of the age cohort get into higher education than African and colored kids. So it does suggest, while in absolute numbers, Things have changed in relative terms in, uh, as, 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 the, as the age group, the, the university's end of age group is concerned. There are major inequities in terms of what we call the participation rate. Now, at this time of the year, many fly-by-night private colleges mushroom everywhere. How does one ensure that they don't fall prey to this and that uh, they choose uh, a credible institution? Well, firstly, if, you, if, if a student uh, and their family must ensure if they're applying to do a tertiary, uh, a tertiary level course at a private institution. They need to check that the private institution is registered with the Department of Higher Education and Training and that its courses, programs have been accredited by the Council on Higher Education. The, uh, all the institutions that are registered, there are just over, uh, uh, about 115 currently. Uh, the department on their website has a list of all the institutions as well as the causes for which they've been accredited. And when, when a parent or a student goes to an institution, the institution is also meant, they should also check that in the reception area, they've got displayed the registration certificate that the Department of Higher Education and Training provides. That's very important. So they need to check. The department has a call, call center. I, unfortunately, not at the office, don't have the number on me, but they can also call the call center at the Department of Higher Education and Training to verify whether the institution is registered or not. Chief Executive Officer of the Council of Higher Education, Ahmed Esop, thank you very much for joining us here on Midday Live. Teachers Union, Satu, has congratulated the 2013 metric class for the good results. The national pass rate for the 2013 national senior certificate has increased by 4.3% to 78.2%. The figure is the highest since 1994. Announcing the highlights of the class of 2013 metric results, Basic Education Minister Njimutsecha commended matriculants for their hard work and sleepless nights. Satu's Deputy General Secretary Nkosana Delopi now joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us. You must be elated as well with the improvement. Nkosana Delopi, uh, that line seems uh, to not uh, to have dropped, but uh, we'll try and get hold of him once again just to get the side of the teacher union. Fifteen minutes to one here on Midday Life. It's a month now until the Winter Olympics in the Russian city of Sochi, and games of this nature require security on a pretty massive scale, and that operation begins with the cranking up of police and troops in the Black Sea Resort, and even ever more so as suicide bombings in the region have raised major concerns across the world. The BBC's Moscow correspondent Steve Rosenbeck filed this report. This is the largest uh, security operation in Olympic history. It's been planned a long time in advance because the Russians have always known that the Sochi Games would be a potential target uh, for terror groups. So from today, one month before the 
the opening ceremony of the Winter Games, uh, security has been heightened uh, outside Olympic venues and Olympic infrastructure. Cars which are not registered in Sochi will be banned from today from entering the city unless they have special permission. Shops will be banned from selling guns, uh, explosives, ammunition. So hunting stores, for example, won't be able to sell hunting rifles. And two major security zones start operating today. Uh, the so-called controlled zone near Olympic venues. To get into that, you'll need a, a valid ticket for an event and proof of identity. And the so-called forbidden zone. Uh, outside Sochi, large areas outside the Olympic City in the mountains and moving into the, the Sochi National Park. And if you add to all of that, tens of thousands of Russian police, uh, warships in the Black Sea, anti-aircraft missiles, uh, you can see why Russian officials say this will be the safest games ever. That was the plan months ago and it's due to last until March the 21st. The problem the Russian authorities have is this. They know that Sochi is the prime target. They know that the Chechen rebel leader Doku Umarov has threatened to disrupt the Sochi games. And that's why they have to ensure maximum uh, security in Sochi. But those two suicide bombings in Volgograd last month have shown that terror attacks can happen anywhere. And it's hard enough securing an Olympic city, it's even harder securing the whole country. So the big fear is that in the run-up to the Sochi Games, there could be further terror attacks, if not in Sochi itself, than in other cities across Russia. And uh, that report uh, was uh, from uh, the BBC's Moscow correspondent, Steve Rosenbeck. Let's go back uh, to that uh, Satu story and welcome the Deputy General Secretary, Kosana Dolopi. Good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us. Afternoon, Mike. Afternoon to your listeners. You must be elated uh, with the improvement, 4.3% uh, to 78.2%. Elated indeed, and that's why we are congratulating the class of 2013, we thank them, we are proud of them for the hard work, the dedication, the tenacity they have shown throughout the year. And uh, at the very same time, we want to thank their parents for supporting them throughout the year. But most importantly is to, is to thank the teachers for the hard work that they have done. Not only the teachers of grade 12, but the teachers who started with the learners in 2002 from grade 1 up to grade 12. These teachers have contributed immensely to prepare this center for 2013. That's why we want to thank them for the great work that they have done. I'm glad that uh, you mentioned the teachers and the parents. Uh, do you think uh, there is a greater coordination now from uh, all the parties, uh, stakeholders, uh, that uh, we need to work together if we want to see the metric pass rate improving? Indeed. I mean, uh, you, you would have seen in, in the free state, as an example, for instance, the cooperation that you would have had <coughs> between all stakeholders, MEC of Education, <coughs> there with the unions and parent associations there working together. That's why you could see that kind of improvement of the results, where teachers are giving their all, parents supporting the teachers, and then children also bringing their side to the story. Working together, we were able to achieve those kind of results that you have seen uh, in Free State in Northwest, but also importantly, the kind of improvement that you have seen in Pumalanga as well. Having congratulated the class of 2013, we still, there still needs a lot of improvement, uh, though. Indeed. Uh, that's why we are saying that working together as well, I think we can reach the sky. We can do even more uh, if we can continue the kind of cooperation that we have started. Uh, if we can reach out to each other, talking to each other, not talking past each other, not just throwing uh, these things, showing fingers to each other, uh, trying to make sure that we support each other. Parents support the teachers, teachers working with the parents, uh, the Department of Education trying to create a conducive environment by providing us with the minimum resources for us to be able to do our work, supporting the teachers, districts, supporting the school management teams. If we can work together, we are definitely sure in SATU that we can achieve even more. Nkosana Dolopi, SATU's General Deputy General Secretary, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And that brings the time to 10 minutes to 1. Hi, I'm Brad Brown and I'm a sports addict. If you are too, join me every Saturday and Sunday afternoon for SAFM Sports Special. Right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Nine minutes to one here on Midday Live, while thousands of matriculants are still basking in the... Uh, 
In the glory of making it through the final year of school, the harsh reality is that only a fraction of those will be able to further their studies at tertiary institutions this year. Labor Union Solidarity has released a sobering study that shows that matriculants hoping to increase their job prospect should look to train further after school. Joining us on the line to talk about uh, job prospects for matriculants is Labor Economist uh, Lone Sharp. A very good afternoon to you, and uh, I beg your pardon. Pardon, where are we? Uh, we're talking to Mark Kingon. He's the SARS Group Executive for Business Systems. Uh, Mark, I uh, beg your pardon. A very good afternoon to you, and thank you for joining us. Yes, uh, good afternoon. I don't think I'll be speaking about job prospects. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to chat about uh, the Employment Tax Intensive Act, uh, which has come into law. Tell us a bit about that for those not familiar with it. Okay, essentially, uh, the government has brought in what we're calling the Employment Tax Incentive, uh, which enables em- employers to employ people, and if they are uh, between the age of 19 and, and uh, uh, 20, uh, 29, 18 and 29 years of age, they can claim a portion against their current tax bill. So let, let's use an example: a person paying 2,000 rand uh, to a startup employee to do some job uh, in this category can claim a thousand rand off in the first 12 months per month. Uh, of the other pays you earn that they pay over to SARS. So in essence, it's reducing the cost of uh, employing somebody else. What criteria is going to be used when uh, companies uh, apply for this uh, uh, incentive? Well, essentially, uh, the first thing is that the person needs to have been employed uh, after 1 October, and it needs to obviously be a person who hasn't been employed before. And in the 18 to 29 year of age, uh, has a valid uh, South African ID or asylum seekers uh, permit. Um, and there's a couple of other criteria. And if the person earns between 2,000 rand and 6,000, there is a varying uh, benefit uh, that, that is applied, uh, d- depending. Now, very importantly, and I think it's important that we understand, is a, an employer is disqualified uh, from claiming. Uh, if uh, they, for, for instance, are not paying the required minimum wage, etc., uh, for the person. Is there no danger of this uh, being exploited by companies and not producing the required results? Well, our, our view is that there are various checks and balances that we have in place. Obviously, the concern has been that, uh, you, know, you know, will people just uh, manipulate the system to get it? But we are going to be getting ID numbers of the various people or the asylum seeker permits, and we'll be able to validate these employees on a twice yearly basis as to these employers as to what they are claiming and whether these people are, in fact, uh, actual people, etc. So we will be able to validate it, and we believe that it, 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 uh, the genuine employers will be able to create employment through the system. But there is always uh, a concern that uh, we might not have genuine employers. Well, that's that's always a case, but it, it is, you know, we believe that that can be addressed through 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 uh, checking up and and through data, which we do get from various parties. Is there enough manpower though to ensure that uh, this is not uh, exploited? Well. As you're aware, uh, the South African Revenue Service has embarked on extensive uh, uh, modernization programs over the last number of years, and one of them has been data sourcing. So, for instance, uh, each employer has to register these employees for tax purposes, uh, and we get the ID number. We can compare that with home affairs. So we've got a lot of data, and it, it doesn't need extra manpower to monitor it. it, 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 it using the systems that are available and the data that's available in government, for instance, getting information of people who are employed, uh, getting information uh, from other sources and validating that these people are genuine. We believe that it, it doesn't require extra manpower to manage it. Have you had inquiries yet? Yes, we are getting inquiries uh, relating to it. And if you go onto our website, uh, we have put up various frequently asked questions which guide people as to how they can claim it and uh, what it is and what, what are the disqualifying and qualifying criteria for, for this. And I'd really urge people to go to our website at www.sars.gov.za uh, and they'll see on the what's new 
the Employment Tax Incentive. They can click on that. There's a, there's a media statement and frequently asked questions as well as the legislation. It's referenced there on our, on our website. Mark, thank you for speaking to us. Uh, he's Mark Kingan, the SARS Group Executive for Business Systems, talking to us about uh, that Employment Tax Intensive uh, Act, uh, which uh, common, is commonly known as the Youth Wage Subsidy. Kwazulu Natal matriculants of 2013 featured prominently among the national top achievers, a pupil from a rural Ndwetwe school, Lithitemba Technical High, has made the province proud after being placed second in the national top achievers uh, in the quintile three schools category. 17-year-old Kreni Songiba was among the learners of the class of 2013 who were invited to the M1 studios here at the SABC in Johannesburg last night. Vuse Kumalo has more. The national metric pass rates for 2013 is 78.2%, a 6 percentage increase from 72% achieved in 2012. KwaZulu-Natal also recorded an improvement of 3.5%. In 2012, it achieved 73.9%, while the class of 2013 matriculants attained to 77.4%. Ngeba was amongst those learners who helped the province counted amongst national top achievers. Ngiba got straight A's in all his subjects. He aced all seven subjects, accounting, physical science, life sciences, peer mathematics, life orientation, English and Isuzulu. Ngiba was speechless and overwhelmed by the news of his success. I was so excited, but uh, I was greatly humbled because I know that it's all by the grace of the Lord. I was very happy. I was very happy. I felt like jumping, flying over the world and thanking the Lord for the achievement. Planning to study chemical engineering, probably in UK, the Rand Howard campus, over. Giba was raised by a pensioner, Dombing Giba, aged 65. In grade one, Giba had already lost both his parents. His grandparents took over in raising him and his four siblings. Proud grandmother Dombing Giba accompanied Kriniso to Johannesburg to receive Top Achievers Awards. So it was very difficult to feed the children, to clothe them, accommodate them, but by God means we did it. I was the only one who was taking care of them, and the grandfather is also there. We're all taking us. Kriniso's principal, Tulani Zwane, says the matriculant has a rare gift of being intelligent and diligent. And when uh, he went to grade 9 again, got position 1, up until today, he's been getting 80s, 90s in total. They are highly gifted young men, highly dedicated and very humble. So I was not surprised. That's uh, Tulani Zwane, the principal, ending that report by Vusi Kumalo in uh, Durban. That brings the time to a minute to one. Time for us uh, to thank uh, the team that put uh, the whole show together. Producers Buntle Mutsuatso and Mabubuluka. Technical producer is Mark Prela. Senior producer is Lungile Mabaso. Executive producers Busi Chane and Aubrey Sichie. I'm Mike Partha. Thank you for joining us. Uh, enjoy your day further. Otherwise, it's up next. Cheers. Bye.